All right, well, welcome back, everyone, to our Sunday School series in Zechariah. We are going to finish up with chapter 8. You remember we last week had uh, stopped just shy of the end of chapter 8. We're going to finish up those last five verses today, a little shorter than we normally do, but uh, that'll be all right. There's a lot of good stuff in this passage that we're going to look at today. Um, By the way, thank you for those of you who've been praying for me. uh, I'm feeling much better now than I was a few days ago, and uh, I am very confident that it was nothing more than just a typical uh, slight fever. So I am, again, I'm feeling much better now, and I'm getting back to my normal tasks and duties. All right, well, let's take a look at our text today. It's going to be Zechariah chapter 8, verses 18 through 23, all the way to the end of the chapter. I'll read it for us and pray, and then we will get into the text today. All right, Zechariah chapter 8, verse 18. And the word of Yahweh of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, A fourth fast, and a fifth fast, and a seventh fast, and a tenth fast shall become for the house of Judah a jubilee and a rejoicing and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love the truth and peace. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, Many peoples will come, even those who dwell in other cities. And those who dwell in one city shall come to another city, saying, Let us surely go to entreat before the face of Yahweh and to seek Yahweh of hosts. Even I myself will go. And many nations and mighty nations will come to seek Yahweh of hosts in Jerusalem to entreat before the face of Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, In those days ten men... From all the tongues of the nations shall take hold of the robe of a man, a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Let's pray before we look at this text together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Zechariah. God, we pray that you would open its message to us, that you would give us eyes to see and to behold wondrous things from your instruction. Um, Give us hearts to be attentive to your message, and we pray that you would accomplish in us what you want to do through the work of your spirit. We pray all these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen. All right, well, just to set the stage from last time, you will remember that we were dealing last time with the issue of false and true religion. You remember that there had been a kind of, uh, uh, in chapter, I believe it was beginning of chapter 7, yeah, in chapter 7 that we have a, a kind of a cohort or a kind of gathering of people that have come from Bethel. And they're coming to Jerusalem and they're asking the priests and they're saying, hey, should we continue to practice the fasts where we mourn the destruction of the temple and the Babylonian exile? And the reason they were asking whether they should stop practicing the fasts is because the temple is very close to being rebuilt under Zerubbabel, and Jerusalem is currently under construction. Things seem to be going well for the people, and they're saying, all right, should we continue to fast and practice these ceremonies that we've done for the last several decades in mourning over the Babylonian exile? And what God does through the prophet Zechariah is he sees through the people's question that sort of seems pious, but on the inside is actually a testimony to their false religion, a testimony to the fact that these people are not really concerned with mourning 
so much as they're concerned with whether they should practice the external ceremonies that are supposed to symbolize their inward mourning. So in other words, this convoy from Bethel is practicing false religion. And so we talked about that two weeks ago, and then we had true religion that we dealt with last week, where God describes what true religion looks like. And sort of partially connected with that is this last chunk of Zechariah chapter 8. And this is a prophecy about the future. And I mean, of course, largely Zechariah is all prophecy about the future. But this is particularly prophecy about the future because it has specific reference to the New Testament church. All right? This is one of the most fun prophecies in Zechariah about the New Testament church. And we're, I'm really excited to get into it with you here. Uh, as usual, I've broken our text down into three sections. All right? The first section has to do with feasting to come. Second section is joy to come. And the third section is nations to come. And we're going to learn about those three things and how when you put them together, there's one thing that I want you to take away from this text today. And that is this, that there is a joyous salvation promised for all the nations. There is a joyous salvation promised for all the nations. And you can see how this is related specifically to what happens at the coming of the New Testament church and the inauguration of the new covenant And so, all right, let's get into this here. First section, feasting to come, verses 18 through 20. Now, let me read it for you here, and then I'll break it down for you. And the word of Yahweh of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, and then you've got all of these fasts, a fourth fast, and a fifth fast, and a seventh fast, and a tenth fast. You may notice in your English Bibles that when it says the fifth fast or the fourth fast or something, it adds the word month. Into there, And that, of course, is right. The month isn't in the text, but that's what it means. The, what's, what uh, Zechariah is referring to here is the fast that the Israelites practiced in the fourth month and the fast that they practiced in the fifth month and so on and so forth. They had a lot of fasts that they practiced um, in remembrance and mourning over the Babylonian exile and the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. All right, that's what Zechariah is referring to here. We talked about those fasts a few weeks ago. And what they all symbolized. But notice what Zechariah is saying here. All of these fasts, he's just listing off these fasts, and he says, They will become, for the house of Judah, a jubilee, and a rejoicing, and cheerful feasts. So we have a transition that's going to happen in the future. Notice the future tense here. Will be, or shall become. Right? They shall become for the house of Judah a jubilee and rejoicing and feast. Here's what's happening. In the future, at some point, the fasting that they're practicing is going to become a feasting that they practice. In other words, they're not going to mourn forever. They don't have to be in a state of fasting forever. You see, fasting for uh, Israel is not simply about mourning, but it's also about awaiting coming blessings from God. And I don't have time to, to give you examples of that, but just, just understand that, in the, old, that the, the Old Testament itself, just in general, is characterized by fasting. Right? It's characterized by, by mourning over sin and by awaiting coming future blessings that God is going to bring. All right. Now, it's not that there's no fasting or no sorrow at all in the New Testament. 
All right, but the Old Testament is particularly characterized by it. There's a lot of commands to do it and to fast at this time and to fast at that time, awaiting coming blessings of God. Um, this, it's kind of interesting if you look at the very last prophet of the Old Testament. And no, I'm not talking about uh, Malachi. I'm talking about chronologically. The very last prophet of the Old Testament is actually John the Baptist. We don't, we don't usually think of John the Baptist as an Old Testament prophet, but technically he was because Jesus had not begun his ministry as the Messiah. So he's considered to be the last Old Testament prophet, even though he actually shows up in the New Testament. Um, that's a great uh, trick question, by the way. Who's the last Old Testament prophet? And say that the right answer is John the Baptist. Um, I'm sort of expecting that at Presbytery. We'll see what happens. But uh, anyway, in John the Baptist's ministry, you see his ministry is sort of characterized by fasting. He's in the desert, and he's eating the bare minimum, and indeed he practices fasting. And so John the Baptist, too, is mourning over the problem of sin and awaiting the future blessing of God that's going to deal with that problem, right? That's what fasting's all about, mourning the current situation and awaiting God's future deliverance. And that's why we say fasting sort of characterizes the Old Testament. That's why there's so much emphasis on it. Well, notice what Zechariah is saying here. He's saying that fasting that you're practicing, that mourning over your problem and waiting for God's deliverance is going to change in the future. You're not going to fast in the future when God's deliverance does come. That fasting is going to change into jubilee and rejoicing and cheerful feasting. That is a wonderful promise that we see fulfilled at the coming of Christ, don't we? We see fulfilled in the coming of the church. Listen to what uh, the Mark records for us here in chapter 2 in his gospel. Let me just read a couple verses for you here. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. See, there you see John the Baptist's disciples are practicing fasting because he's an Old Testament prophet. And people came and said to him, that is to Jesus, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. And you see this, this theology of fasting and feasting coming up. Jesus is saying, hey, with the coming of God's deliverance, namely myself as the Messiah, fasting is going to cease because God has brought the deliverance and he's rescued his people out of their problem. And so Jesus commands the disciples not to fast, but rather to eat. That is, to feast in joy and rejoicing in the fact that God has brought deliverance. Okay, that is the feasting and the joy to come. And now we move on here to our third section, which is nations to come. Nations to come because you see it's not just that God is promising that the fasting will be turned into feasting only for the Jews but it's also that Gentiles are going to come to be a part of God's covenant people look at what Zechariah says about this verse 20 thus says Yahweh of hosts many peoples will come even those who dwell in other cities and those who dwell in one city will come to another, saying, Let us surely go to entreat before the face of Yahweh and to seek Yahweh of hosts. Even I myself will go. And many peoples and mighty nations will come to seek Yahweh of hosts in Jerusalem to entreat 
before the face of Yahweh. This is quite the promise. See, sometimes I think we have a tendency to think that in the Old Testament, God was only concerned with the Jewish people. He was only concerned with making sure that they had the message of Yahweh. And of course, God was particularly concerned about the Jewish people. They're his chosen people, right? They're chosen by God to be the special, peculiar covenant uh, community. That, of course, is true, that God had a particular concern for the Jewish people. But we would be writing out a huge part of the Old Testament if we simply made the assertion that God was only concerned with the Jewish people and there was no hope for anyone out in the Gentile world. God was concerned to bring the message of himself to all people, to all nations, And we see that not only here in Zechariah, but if I were to show you Isaiah chapter 2, very first couple of verses, Isaiah 2 verses 2 through 3, just let me read it for you here. This is what Isaiah says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it and many peoples shall come and say, Come, Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. There you can see very clearly in Isaiah the idea that in the future, many nations will come to Jerusalem. They will come to the house of God and they will find Yahweh. They will be craving him. They will be if you will, effectually drawn by God to come in great numbers. So the, the promise here in the Old Testament, all over the place, and I could bring up lots more passages. There's basically an innumerable amount of passages to support this idea. That God was not simply concerned in the Old Testament with the Jews, but he was also concerned with the Gentiles. And there were promises that great numbers, huge, massive numbers of people from other nations would come to know the one and true God, and would come to what we see as Jerusalem. And here we see in Zechariah, verse 22, you see um, they will come to seek Yahweh of hosts in Jerusalem. Now here, this is where we've got to pull out all of our inferences about Jerusalem from earlier in the book, right? Remember, earlier in the book of Zechariah, that is, you remember that Jerusalem is not the physical city of Jerusalem, primarily in Zechariah, when it comes to future prophecy, right? Jerusalem is not the physical city, according to Zechariah. Remember, it's a city without walls, a city where God is its walls. They're spiritual walls. So Jerusalem is not the physical city. Rather, as we said before, Jerusalem is God's new covenant people. That is, right, it is a spiritual city. It's the church, And so what Zechariah is getting at here is not that many nations and Gentiles will come to the physical city of Jerusalem. That's never happened in history. We have not seen massive numbers of Gentiles converting to Judaism. We have not seen massive numbers of Gentiles coming to the city of Jerusalem to convert to Christianity. No, but what we do see is massive numbers of Gentiles coming to the church to convert to the worship of the true God, Yahweh himself incarnated as Jesus Christ. 
And this is all made more sure by the fact that Isaiah, in that passage I read a moment ago, said that this is all going to happen in the latter days. Now, the latter days does not refer, typically speaking, to a a quantity of days, that is the last hundred days or something like that, but rather it refers to a quality of days. That is, it refers to the type of days, the kind of days. And folks, let me tell you something. We are, as New Testament believers in the Christian church, living in the latter days. Because in case you didn't recognize this before, you didn't realize this, the New Testament church is the final period of redemptive history. There is nothing left to happen in the history of redemption except for the final return of Christ, which could happen at any moment. So this is the final period of redemptive history. That's why this is called the latter days. And so when the Old Testament refers to the latter days, it's referring to the days of the church. And so that's exactly then taking Isaiah's idea and bringing it over to Zechariah. That supports this because Zechariah is talking about the same thing as Isaiah. In the days of the church, Gentiles are going to flow into that spiritual city of Jerusalem. Namely, the church. God's spiritual covenant community city. It's a fantastic prophecy of the New Testament. But we're not finished. We got one more verse, verse 23. Let me read it for you here. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, in those days, ten men from all the tongues of the nations shall take hold of the robe of a man, a Jew, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. So what Zechariah is getting at here is that there's going to be a a 10 to 1 ratio between Jews and Gentiles who are coming to this Jerusalem, right? For every Jew, 10 Gentiles are going to grab his cloak and sort of have that Jew drag them along with him and say, let us go with you. We want to go with you to this Jerusalem because we know that God is with you. So now don't, don't be precise on the math of this. It's not like if we calculated in the church today, we'd see, okay, well, 10% of uh, uh, Christians are Jewish and then the other 90% are, you know, uh, Gentile. This is not exact math or anything like that. What we've got going on here, though, is that this new covenant community, this new spiritual Jerusalem is going to be characterized by being a Gentile community. That the Christian church is going to be comprised not primarily of God's Jewish people, but primarily of Gentiles. Now, that doesn't mean no Jews will be a part of it. Of course, Jews who embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ are a part of the New Testament church. But it's primarily comprised of Gentiles. And if you look at the early centuries of the Christian church, this is absolutely the case. The Christian church is comprised mostly of Gentiles. And so we see Zechariah's prophecy here coming to fruition. That's one of the great uh, distinctives of the new covenant community is the gospel going out to the Gentiles. That in the book of Acts, if you study that book in any detail, you recognize that's the biggest hurdle that the Jewish Christians have to get over. The idea that the gospel is going out to the Gentiles. They just didn't see it in the Old Testament, even though it's everywhere. All right, last point that I want to make about this text 
Take a look with me at the last line of verse 23. They grab a hold of the cloaks of the man, the Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. In other words, these people, these Gentiles who are coming to faith in Yahweh, who are coming to faith in the true God, who are wanting to come to the house of the true God to hear his word proclaimed and to meet him, they are doing so because they have heard about these believers. They have heard that God is with them. They have heard that there is something different, something unique about these Yahweh worshipers. In other words, in other words, as we look to apply this today, think about this. Do we, as Christians, conduct ourselves in such a way in our lives, in our daily lives, day after day, week in and week out, do we conduct ourselves in such a way that unbelievers, that pagans who look upon us see something different about us? Or is it that, you know, on Sundays and Wednesday night, we put on our church face, we speak the lingo, we speak Christianese, but then the rest of our week we behave pretty much like the world. Now, I don't mean that you need to spend every second of your day carrying your Bible around and preaching Jesus to everyone. You'll drive everyone nuts, and that won't help anything either. But what I am saying is, is when people look at you, do they see you as someone who's different than the world? Do they see you as a truthful person? Do they see you as an honest, hardworking person? Are you someone that can be trusted? Are you someone that can be depended upon? Are you someone that people would be glad to serve under? See, these are the distinctive qualities that begin to attract people to Jesus. Now, of course, you know, as Reformed folk, we know that the ultimate reason why people are attracted to Jesus is not because of anything we do, but it's because of the effectual calling of the Holy Spirit upon their hearts. And, of course, that's absolutely true, and we want to hold that well. But remember, even as human beings, we are still responsible, especially as Christians, to do what we can to be effectual and helpful means that God uses to bring people to the gospel. So remember, divine sovereignty does not cancel out moral responsibility. And we have a responsibility as Christians to be the kind of people that Zechariah is talking about here. People that have pagans and unbelievers grabbing their clothes and saying, please take me to church. Please take me to hear the words of your God. Those are the kind of people that we need to be. And you know why? Because we have a joyous salvation that is for all the nations. God is drawing his elect from all the nations in the world. And we get to be a part of that. That is such a blessing. That is such a joy. And it's one of the great things that turns our fasting into feasting. The gospel is coming and has come to the nations. And we get to be God's means to bring that gospel of Jesus Christ to people. That's a good thing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Zechariah. And Lord, we pray that uh, you would um, 
you would change our hearts. Sanctify us in your truth, Lord. Sanctify us in your word. Help us to live lives in accordance with your word so that people might look at us and see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Lord, give us the strength to do this. Give us the discipline to do this. Help us to be people that represent you well on this earth. We pray all of these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen.